Best Book Bits podcast brings you Byron Morrison, a mindset and high-performance strategist for CEOs, speaker, as well as the author of the best-selling books, Become a Better You, The Effective CEO, and CEO in Control. Byron helps CEOs take control of their role by evolving them into a more confident, grounded, and effective decision-making leader who can handle the pressures of running and growing a company. Byron, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic books, and we'll jump into them in a second. But before we get into that, tell us the story of your own journey of transformation after witnessing uh, your dad's cancer. Can you take us back to that particular story? Yeah, so kind of everything I'm doing today really stems off kind of what I went through a decade ago. Um, at that point in my life, I kind of knew I was meant for something more, but I was just kind of lost. And then my dad got cancer. During his treatment, he had most of his bowels surgically removed. He spent 25 days in ICU, most on life support and breathing through a tracheostomy. And that for me was the wake-up call that I needed to turn my own life around. Luckily, he pulled through, which is something that I'm eternally grateful for. But that took me on this journey of transformation where after losing over 50 pounds and really getting my own life on track, I took everything I learned and went into the foundations of my first book, Become a Better You. From that, I built a business working with people from around the world to really get their health and their life under control. And truth be told, I found myself in a situation where I was completely in over my head. Um, I started that business with this desire to change and impact the world, but my days essentially became putting out fires and solving other people's problems. And I remember just looking at my calendar with this feeling of dread over the fire that I had to fight next. I just reached a point where I was burnt out. My business felt like a mental and emotional drain. And I knew that something had to change. So I became a student of everything from mindset to psychology, high performance, and everything else in between, determined to figure out how to get this under control. And after I did, I eventually evolved my own business to helping other CEOs and business leaders do exactly the same thing so they can really get their life and business under control and break through to the next level. So that's kind of a little bit of an overview of kind of where I began and my own kind of journey that's got me to where I am today with my books and my coaching. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for sharing. What got you into, you know, coaching and consulting CEOs? What made you choose that sort of uh, particular niche? So something that was a natural transition for me, kind of from my dad, when he was kind of working professionally, that was kind of the level he was at. And then in my own business, where I initially started, I was working with a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs. And I found that even though initially we were focusing on their health and other areas of their life, we're overarching talking to some of the challenges that that was stemming off of, the stress, the pressure they were going through and everything else. So as I grew myself and I stepped into the business leader role and everything else, it just became a natural evolution that that was the sort of people I was reaching and dealing with. So eventually a few years ago, I just niched down completely of that was who I wanted to work with. Because not only was I found that that was where I thrived, it was also the people I really enjoyed working with because I get a lot of fulfillment kind of supporting people who are at the top of their game, who are really leading by example and wanting to make an impact on the world. So it was just a really good harmony and fit for what I wanted to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I can I can definitely attest to it's nice to understand your ideal client and, and customer as well. I only work with authors myself and similar to CEOs, these are high-performing people that you get along with and can have some great conversations as well. But early in my coaching and consulting career, I would coach and consult anyone who wanted to be coached and consult. But now, you know, once you get niche on that, you can actually become an expert in helping those people achieve all they can as well. Now, tell me about your writing in the first book. When, when did that come out and what, what was the title of that first book? Uh, yeah, that was the one. Um, the 
the first one. I think it came out, and I may be wrong on this one. I think it was 2017, or maybe in 2016. I, I can't actually remember. I know it was in November. I don't know the exact year. But yeah, that's an interesting one. And you've probably seen this a lot with the people that you've worked with. Um, to be honest, I had no clue what I was doing. I just kind of had this idea that I wanted to write a book. And I just kind of dived in. And that book took me about a year and a half to research and about a year and a half to write. And it's, I basically had all of these ideas. And I just wanted to pass everything on. And it just became a really thick kind of guide of everything people need to live a healthier, happier life. So it was a good learning experience and something that for my future books, I've done very differently because it was a trial by error. Uh, like I said, I'm sure you've seen that a lot of the authors you work with who, because they don't really have a plan, they just dive in and hope for the best. So it was kind of trial by combat, but it's still one of my proudest achievements, but I definitely wouldn't do it the same way again. Now you touched on a little bit about the book, but what what is the book about uh, in sort of a nutshell? Any uh, any good takeaways? I haven't read that particular book, but we'll get into the third book in a sec. Yeah. So that book is essentially how to live a healthier, happier life, and it's broken into four key sections. Um, section number one is mindset, so it's looking at kind of stress management and kind of getting out of your own head. Section two is nutrition and how to put together a balanced diet. Section three is activity and how to exercise and kind of gain shape. And then the final section is rest and recovery. So it's all about how to really take back control of your life and become a healthier, happier you. So it's encompassing everything to just really improve your health and your well-being. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And we'll skip the second book for now. We might come back to it later, but let's jump into The CEO in Control, a book that I recently read that you wrote, which is fantastic. So basically called CEO in Control, Master the Mental Game Needed to Be a Highly Effective CEO. When did this particular book come out? And in a nutshell, what what's the book about? So this book came out, I think it was kind of last July. I don't know the exact month off the top of my head, but this book is essentially about really taking control of your CEO role. It's going through the mindset needed to really stop reacting, get out of your own head and perform at a higher level. So it's really taking the, the reader on a journey to understand why they're spending their days in a state of response, what it really takes to start making strategic decisions, to think back bigger and become the leader the business needs now and in the future. With this book, I wanted to pass on what I've been doing with clients over the last few years, really showing them what they need to do to up-level their own thinking to perform at the highest level. Because I find with a lot of CEOs, unfortunately, they're spending most of their days in a state of reaction. Everything they do is firefighting, solving other people's problems and dealing with never-ending demands. And the problem with that is when you're in a reactive state, there's no way you can make the right decisions. There's no way you can effectively lead or actually push the business to new heights which is why, unfortunately, so many CEOs become the bottleneck. But the reality is your inner business's growth will never outgrow your inner growth. So this is all about helping the reader evolve so that they can actually go to the next level. Yeah, totally agree. I, as I said, I've read the book before and you've, you cover a lot of these great things in the book, which we'll jump into as well. In the introduction in the book, you talk about the Peter principle, which is every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. And we can all think of people who do well, get promoted, and then they either go, uh, they never go anywhere. They never go any further or who crash and burn. Can you talk about sort of the Peter principle? Yeah, there was a really interesting study where they found that the wor the best salespeople often go on to be the worst sales managers. And that's because even though they may be fantastic at what they do, they're completely unprepared when it comes to managing people or dealing with that element of the role. 
And that was why the book was really focusing on how CEOs actually have the Peter principle in their own world. Because a lot of the people I work with are fantastic founders. They're really good at developing products or bringing their ideas to market. But when it comes to leading a business, they're unprepared. No one's ever taught them how to build and manage a team, how to effectively communicate, how to have difficult conversations, how to make decisions when you're backed into a corner and everything's on the line. So they're very much winging it in many ways and unprepared to deal with the challenges that come with that success. And that's often why, as I said to you before, they become the bottleneck because they haven't developed that skill set needed to go to really become the CEO that the business needs. And that goes back to the theme of the book. It's all about equipping them with the mindset needed to actually start thinking like a CEO to actually then step in and take control of the role. Spending on that in your book, you talk about, you know, sometimes the, the founder of the company is not the right person to take that business to the next level as well. And just expanding on the, the bottleneck in any business is the CEO. And that reason happens to be because you're trying to handle new levels of problems with old levels of thinking as well, which in turn causes them to get stuck in their own head, overthink key decisions and spend their days feeling stretched thin and overwhelmed. So yeah, great passage in the book there. Also, can you talk about the reality of, you know, being a CEO, you actually get stuck with your current level of thinking and actions, and then we hit our own level of uh, incompetence as well. What's some of the tips or strategies that you teach CEOs to, to sort of go to that next particular level to handle the new challenges that come with uh, a new level of success? So one of the big ones here is where people actually spend their time. Because a lot of people, when they're starting to build a business, they have to do everything. They're involved in everything from marketing to sales to operations to HR and everything else in between. But when the business starts taking off and you have this expanding team, all of a sudden, if you try and do everything, you're going to be stretched thin and overwhelmed. So you really need to figure out where does your time of the greatest ROI? Where do you have the biggest impact on the business? And then from there, start putting in the right systems to effectively delegate and to trust your team and allow people to take stuff off your plate. Because one thing I talk about in the book, and I think this is so true for anyone in a leadership position, is that what you don't do becomes just as important as what you do do. Because every hour you waste in busy work or tasks that don't matter is an hour that could be spent furthering the business or creating more growth. And that's why I believe it's so important that you regularly audit what you're actually doing, sitting down to figure out where did you spend your time, what took up your bandwidth and your energy, and from there figuring out, okay, what do you need to stop doing in the future? Because so many people are just focused on where they're going and building momentum and moving forward, whereas actually it's when you slow down and you process what's happening, that's when you create the greatest growth and insights. So one thing I would say to any listener, regardless of what your role is or what you're doing with your life, take a little bit of time to figure out where your time's actually going because you may be spending it on things that aren't actually leading you towards where you want to be, but because you're so used to doing them and they're part of your patterns and behaviors, you may be unaware that they're actually holding you back. Yeah, just like stop doing $25 an hour jobs when you're getting paid $250 an hour or $2,500 an hour. Stop doing the minor jobs and start focusing on the major stuff as well. Now, you also talk about sort of mastering the mental game, which we'll jump into as well to become an effective CEO. But you talk about there's two general types of CEOs. One is the overwhelmed CEO and one is the evolved CEO. Can you expand on that and, and tell us a little bit about the, the differences between both? Yeah, that goes back to a lot of what I've spoken to you about already. I found in my experience of working with CEOs now in 11 different countries that they can really be split into two different categories. You have what I call the overwhelmed CEO. They're the CEO who 
is stretched thin, who feels in over their head, who's spending their days in the trenches stuck in a state of reaction. And because they haven't leveled themselves up, they're not performing at the level that they need to. Whereas on the other side, you have what I call the evolved CEO. They're the ones who recognize that if they want to break through to the next level, it's them who needs to evolve. So they've really done the deep work needed to really up-level their own mindset and performance to actually start actually performing at the level they need to. They're the ones who make better decisions, who trust their team, who effectively delegate and lead by example, really stepping into and becoming the best version of themselves. And in section one, you talk about stop reacting, which is for most overwhelmed CEOs in most of their days are spent in a state of reaction where everything they do is a response to a challenge in front of them as well. Can you expand on what you talk about controlling the controllable? Yeah, the big thing to realize is in life, you're never going to be in complete control of what's going on around you. But the one thing that you can always control is how you choose to respond to this. And this isn't just true for CEOs. This is true for every single person that the majority of people spend their life where everything just happens to them. Their reactions, their responses, their behavior is very much based on what's happening around them. But you, there's no way you can make the right decisions. You can really take actions you need to or show up as the best version of yourself when you're in that reactive state. And that's why a big part of the work that we do is really getting people to master the mental game needed that when something does go wrong or there's a fire or a challenge or a difficult situation, rather than just reacting to it, they can access the part of their brain where they can stop, they can understand what's going on, they can process and observe it and then choose how to respond to it. This is a huge difference between a reaction and a response. A reaction is impulsive, often not done as the best version of yourself, whereas a response is calculated, it's thought out and coming from a position of clarity. And this, in my opinion, is what separates bad leaders from great leaders, because a lot of CEOs, I find, are so focused on trying to move forward, they feel like I have to take decisive action, I need to deal with this right now was actually a lot of the greatest insight comes in slowing down and taking that moment to really understand what is happening and how then they need to take action based on those findings to deal with it. And one of the other great notes I got from the book, you talk about the mindset of an evolved CEO is no different to that of an athlete. Uh, after all, running a business is like an endurance event filled with ups, downs, challenges, and setbacks. It takes extreme perseverance, years of hard work, and a commitment that very few people will ever realize or understand, which is why your mindset and ability to be at cause or effect is what will make or break your success as well. So yeah, great, uh, great quote through there as well. Step two, you talk about focusing on what you want, not what you don't want. Can you talk about some of the experiences you've worked with CEOs on how, you know, just changing their focus has really improved their game as well? Yeah. One of the biggest kind of setbacks I see is people getting stuck in their own head because we have this tendency down to the way that our brains are wired, where something goes wrong, we jump straight into a story mode. So we make assumptions and jump to conclusions about what a situation means. And a lot of the time that's going to be misguided or that's going to be focused on challenges or problems that don't even exist yet. And one of my favorite quotes is if you stress about something before it happens, you're essentially putting yourself through it twice. And I know telling people to stop worrying about their problems is useless advice. That if you want to get it under control, you have to start changing your perspective. And the way to really master that is to recognize when you're actually falling into a story or when something is actually real. And that's why I always say to clients, and I talk about this in the book, that 
whenever you've got a thought or a fear or something going on in your head, going back to what I spoke about initially, you have to force yourself to stop and slow down to really question and challenge, is this a story? And is it just something that I'm telling myself? And is it, if it is, what do I need to know to clarify? Because if you're making an assumption based on what you think someone else is feeling or a way that they're behaving, you may need to go have a conversation to clarify it. Or if there's a setback in your business, you may need to take certain actions to figure out what it actually means. But a lot of the time people get in their own way because they jump to story and they take it as fact. And that can cause a whole host of overwhelm and pressure. And that's why you really need to get into the habit of really questioning, is it actually real? And not only that, with these stories, our brain builds it up often to be a far bigger deal than it actually is. We kind of have this idea in our mind that it's going to be the end of the world and a catastrophe. With when you start to slow down and you question and figure out, is it actually going to go wrong? Or even if it does, is it that big a deal? It becomes a lot easier to process and handle. So it's, again, all about slowing down and figuring out what is actually going on here. Good segue to talk about removing negative language traps, which you talk about in the book, which are things like, this makes me that. You talk about hope and try. Can you expand on negative language traps? Yeah, so I found that there's certain words that we can use that we don't even realize keep us focusing on things that are out of our control. And I kind of broke them down into five key negative language traps. The first one is, this makes me that. He makes me angry. The weather makes me sad. As I spoke about in the book, no one can make you anything. Your reaction and response is always within your control. So when you fall into that negative language trap, you're focusing on something and saying that it's controlling you. The second one is the word try. There's no such thing as try. You're either going to do something or you're not. You've either got results or a reason why you haven't. But a lot of people will say they're going to try to do something to avoid taking responsibility. It's like when someone asks you if you want to go to an event, but you don't really want to go. So you say, I'm going to try and make it. You're essentially saying that you're hoping that future version of you is going to find motivation or figure out an excuse not to go. All you're doing is putting extra stress and pressure on yourself. Make a decision and stick to it one way or another. The other one is hope. I hope I can get these results. I hope I can lose this weight. When you say you hope for something, you're essentially saying that you hope that the stars are going to align, the planets are going to come together, and everything's magically going to work out. Again, avoiding taking responsibility for the actions you need to take. The fourth one is the word if. If I get this, if I get these results, we have to change that to when. If implies that it's out of your control and it gets you focusing on the things that are going wrong rather than what you can do about it. And then the final one is the word should. We all have things in our life we feel like we should be doing. I should read more books. I should exercise more. This, the problem is there's no necessity there. There's nothing holding you to it. Whereas if you've got something in your life that you feel like you must do, you find a way to make it happen. And that's why if you want to really perform at a higher level, you have to change your own standards and expectations. You have to figure out what are the things you must do and then really put together a game plan to make them happen. And if something's a should and you keep getting resistance, it may be a sign that you don't actually want it and it needs to be removed and kind of taken out of your bandwidth and energy. And look, at the end of the day, not everyone can be a CEO, just as no, not everyone can be a high-performance person. Some people are inclined to it, meaning their their, their current, call it psychology, uh, physiology, whatever it is, is built them up. 
and personality traits as well to, to be CEOs, athletes, high-performing people. But yeah, just understanding those simple things like negative language traps, if people just understand their day-to-day lives on how they speak to themselves is really a reflection on how they're going to act uh, during the day and also how they feel as well. So just understanding how you actually speak to yourself is huge. So I got a lot out of that as well. Moving on, task number two, talk about taking back control. And one of the things I got from the book was the importance of breathing. Recently, I've been uh, experimenting with breathing myself, doing Wim Hof breathing, box breathing. I recently did a, a cold plunge just the other day. And before I jumped into the cold plunge, I got got myself in tune with my breath and understand that if you actually get in tune with your breath, you can actually have a pleasant experience in the cold water as well. But can you talk about the importance of breathing and how this relates to working with CEOs and high performance and, and stress situations? Yeah, the problem when you're stressed and you're facing a fire or difficult situation is you go back into that state of reaction. And as a result, your blood pressure increases, your cortisol levels go up, and there's no way you can think clearly. And this will explain why if you've ever been in a stressful situation, you get brain fog and you don't really know what's going on. This is why when I was kind of first researching this and studying it, one thing I found that they teach to doctors and nurses in the NHS, which is the British Health Service, is in a crisis situation, they have to stop and breathe and slow down because from there, it lowers their blood pressure, it reduces their cortisol, and from there, they can then really see and understand what's going on and only then take an action. Because if they're making a mistake in that situation, it could be a life and death moment. And even though being a CEO and running a business obviously isn't the same as working in a medical ward, a lot of the kind of stresses can have the same impact on the body. Because when you're in a situation and it feels like everything's falling apart and you're in crisis mode, you have the same physiological reaction. And that's why by forcing yourself to stop and breathe and slow down, you can clear your head and from there get have a better way of actually dealing with the situation. And again, it goes back to what I've spoken to you about throughout today of the importance of forcing yourself to stop and slow down. If people take nothing else away from this, what I've kind of shared, take more time in your life to slow down, to really stop, to process what's happening, to allow yourself to think clearly and only then act. Obviously, that doesn't mean delay and put things off and avoid what you need to do. But it does mean get into the right headspace before you make big decisions or take action on it. Yeah, and this also doesn't just relate to stress, but I guess in especially CEO, a business person, a high-level executive, you might have 25 things going on in your head. And the question is, what do we do next? So the question is, you get to work, you have your coffee, you have a little chit-chat, it's 9 a.m., what is the next action you can take or what is the main priorities of the day? If you just spend a couple of minutes every day stopping, noticing, and observing and saying, okay, what am, I, what am I going to get out of this day? Where am I going to put my energy, time, emotion, and money into? Where are you going to put your currency, the four levels of currency? Especially from a CEO's point of view, what 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 main objectives are you going to do today? And that's about stopping, noticing, and observing as well. So taking a couple of minutes out of your day to effectively use the hours you're going to be using in the most productive way possible as well. Sorry, one thing I'd love to throw in there because I feel like based on what you have said, this will be super valuable for people listening, is the majority of people who tell me that they're overwhelmed, they're actually underplanned because they've got so many scattered racing thoughts and they have this huge to-do list and they just bounce around, not really knowing what to focus on and prioritize. And that's why when anyone tells me that they're feeling that way, the advice I always give them is they have to figure out what they're actually doing. And the best way to approach this, I found, is actually the simplest. 
If you're feeling overwhelmed, disconnect from what you're doing, get a pen and paper and write down all of those thoughts in your head. What are you worried about? What are the things you need to get done? What are your biggest priorities and tasks? When you get out of your head, you can disconnect from it. You can consciously look at it in a new light and from there start processing it, going through it point by point and putting a game plan of what you need to do. Suddenly those seven racing thoughts, they then have a step-by-step game plan. It seems manageable because you can be like, oh, I need to do that. Well, the first step is this. And that's why I really advise that people do this every single day. Before you dive into whatever you're doing, take a moment to brain dump and get it out of your head down in front of you. Suddenly that overwhelm will feel far more manageable. And a lot of the time people say to me, oh, I don't have time to plan. I'm too busy. And that is a red flag that actually they need to do it even more. Because if you're unprepared, you're just going to waste hours going through busy work or things that don't matter. And I'm, I imagine that is just as relevant to a CEO as it is to the people that you deal with. Because I going back to what I spoke about with my first book, where I was overwhelmed by it because I was underplanned. I didn't take the time to really stop and figure out where was my attention going? What was I doing? What was my game plan? Something that would have saved hours, if not weeks and months. So it's something that I think is applicable to anyone, regardless of their career or position or what they're doing with their life. Yeah, and especially as a CEO or even just a uh, just a normal human, you need to expand your time horizon and understand that we're in it for the long haul and it's not about not just the day-to-day transactions or keeping the business afloat or your you know, your own personal economy afloat as well. It's about thinking long-term and strategically as well. And the more you can spend time with planning, journaling, clearing out uh, the mental cache um, in your head, the, the better you're going to be in terms of productivity as well and just using the available hours to what's best and 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 you know spending time for health spending time with family getting getting your priorities in order as well instead of wheel spinning and doing figure eights and getting nowhere it's all about going forward in the in the right correct way as well you talk about the reflection table as well in the book can you talk about what is the reflection table and what's this thing we do and with the reflection table yeah so one thing i find for most kind of overwhelmed CEOs is they're so focused on moving forward that life just happens to them and then they just carry on, not realizing that actually by stopping to slow down and reflect and process what happened, that's their greatest opportunity for growth because it's in the mistakes, the setbacks, the challenges that you can really figure out, okay, how did I handle that situation? What do I need to learn from it? How do I need to do better the next time? That's why I share a reflection table in the book. And this is something I do with my private clients as well to really track the journey and figure out what did they go through? How did they handle these situations and really force them to replay it in their mind? Because it's in those reflections that you really figure out how do you then evolve and perform at a higher level? Because let's say you have a difficult conversation that doesn't go very well. Well, by taking the time to really slow down and figure out, okay, how did I approach that? What did I say? What could I have done better? The next time you're in that situation, you're going to improve how you handle it. And that's just really also how you start building your confidence and intuition. Because by regularly taking that time to reflect, you're going to learn so many lessons about who you are, the way that you operate, how to really navigate your team and everything else in between. And that's why this is one of the most powerful, but also simple tools that people can use to really help themselves grow and evolve. And that's why it's a central practice that, it's throughout the book, but also something that I use with clients on an everyday basis. Yeah, what I got from that really was about self-feedback. A lot of people wait around for external feedback where they'll they'll just do enough not to get any feedback and stay under the radar 
but they're not actually giving themselves honest feedback. And if we are honest with ourselves, yes, we do make mistakes. Yes, we can learn. But this is what sets apart the athlete, the CEO, the high-performance person, which is putting those pressures on yourself instead of waiting externally for the pressure to come to you as well. So that's just that that slight shift makes makes all the difference as well. Just to kind of build up, build on that, that's also why if, if you look at any top athlete, part of the reason why they've got to where they are is they spent hours watching past game footage. They go back through it and they look at it. What did I do? What mistakes did I make? How do I improve? It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. But that is what it takes to perform at the highest level. And it's the same as if you're a CEO. You, your biggest growth comes in from really figuring out how did you handle these situations and how do you improve on them. So I, I love the athlete reference just because I think it's something that people can relate to and kind of get a visual idea of, okay, do you know what? This is how you actually perform at your best. And it's putting yourself through self-training. A lot of people don't train on their job and they just go through the day-to-day thinking it's a game when they're not spending time on training. And this comes to section two in the book where you talk about strategic thinking. One of the principles you talk about is the Ray Dalio principle where he talks about order of consequences. Can you expand on what order of consequences are? Yeah, this is a way of thinking that completely changed my life. And that's why I credited Ray Dalio from it because I got it from him. And it's essentially looking at any big life decision and figuring out what are the consequences that come as a result of it. Because most people focus on first order consequences, that in the now satisfaction, looking for pleasure, looking for something that fulfills that in the moment desires. Whereas actually, if you want to be an effective CEO, a lot of the time you may need to make short-term sacrifices or things that may not seem like a good decision in the moment based on long-term gains. And that's why you need to sit down and figure out, okay, if I do this, what are the consequences that come as a result of it? Um, A perfect kind of example, and this is an example I use in the book of a negative one, is just tying it to weight loss, uh, an example that pretty much anyone could relate to. Um, Let's say Gary wants chocolate bar because it makes him feel good after a long day. That would make it a first order consequence, which in isolation is a good thing. But the second order could be that Gary continues gaining weight. The third order could be that he suffers with his health. He doesn't feel good about himself. He gets sick. The fourth order is that he's not a good example for his kids. He doesn't achieve the success that he wanted. And the fifth order is he dies young. Now, that's no doubt an extreme example. but It proves the point that every action, even though it may seem small, can have huge significant consequences long term. And that's why you need to start looking at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis with what are the bigger ramifications. It's the same as a CEO. It could be, okay, I need to make an investment into my business to get help and support for a problem. And a lot of CEOs, if they just look at the first order consequence, they won't take that action because they'll be look at it in a painful light of, oh, well, we need to part ways with that money. So it seems like a bad idea. Whereas if you look at the second order consequence, getting that support could mean actually fixing a problem. The third order could then streamline your processes. It could lead to further growth. The fourth order is that then helps you create more revenue. It helps you go to the next level. And the fifth order is you help more people, you create more impact, and you build a business that actually survives. So it's always looking at the bigger picture is what are the consequences, positive and negative, of any action you take. That's really what thinking at a higher level is all about because most people live their life giving into first order consequences. But if you want to really take control of a life that most people never will, you have to start thinking in that way because you can't afford to 
make short side decisions or base it on what you see as an in the moment sacrifice. You have to think bigger. Be like, where is this leading me? Why am I taking this? And how do you really think five moves ahead? It's very strategic, isn't it? It's a, it's a balance between daily micro actions, which you talk about, and understanding the bigger picture as well. And some of your daily actions might seem illogical to the person thinking short-sighted, but if you're thinking five, ten years ahead and you're planning for that, so it's a very good balance of, you know, what do you do with today and at the same time thinking about the future as well. So hence, being a CEO, if you're at the top, there's not, not too many people that you can sort of get support because you're the one at the end of the day making those decisions and you fall by your sword as well. Also, just expanding on that, understand the bigger picture, you talk about start putting the decision you're trying to make at the top of the page and then break it down into four segments. I really like this part. From there, go through one at a time and ask yourself, number one, firstly, if you take this action, what will happen? Secondly, if you take this action, what won't happen? And if you don't take this action, what will happen? And finally, if you don't take this action, what won't happen? So great stuff through there as well. We'll move on to knowing your goals. Can you talk about how you work with goal setting with CEOs, which might be different from you know speaking with regular folk with personal development goals, but what are some of the typical goals you work with with uh, CEOs and, and goal setting? Yeah, the way I... Well, most people approach goal setting is they start the year, they figure out, okay, where do I want to be a year from now? They maybe write it down and then forget about it and probably don't look at it till like the next year. Whereas if you really want to perform at a higher level and kind of break through to the next level, you have to be a, a lot clearer and more on path of what you're doing. And that's why the way I approach it with clients, and I always advise people to do it, is instead of looking at a year, which is a very long time, so much can change and there's so many variables you can't account for. Instead, figure out where do you wanna be in 90 days? Because instead by working in that 90 day sprint, you can then reverse engineer the journey. You can figure out, okay, if this is where I wanna be 90 days from now, this is how much revenue I wanna make, this is how many much growth I wanna create, how many new hires I wanna make, or whatever it is, you can then figure out, okay, what are my weekly actions I need to take? What are the things I need to do to really close that gap? And then you also have the added benefit of you can then track it. You can figure out, am I on target? Am I moving towards this? And also take regular intervals where you recalibrate, where you can figure out, okay, what needs to shift? What may have gone wrong? What have we learned that we didn't know before? That's how you can really evolve and pivot as and when needed. Whereas if you're just looking at over the course of a year, how most people approach it, it's not really feasible. It's the same as if you go back a few years, people would have started their year with their yearly goals had an idea of what they're trying to do. No one could have foreseen that the pandemic was going to hit. All of a sudden, life got completely turned upside down. And that's why, again, it's thinking more strategically and at a higher level, breaking it down as much as possible of having that clarity and knowing where you're putting your time and attention. Yeah, just it makes so much sense as well. Like You can actually probably hit some of your 12-month goals in, in 90 days if you actually think about it, act on it every single day. But what happens is people set these yearly goals and because it's 365 days, they sort of procrastinate on it and they're not developing the disciplines, the habits and, and those small lifestyle changes. They need to actually hit these goals as well. And if you actually have a short enough time frame, you will either hire the right people, get the right team around you to help you hit these goals too. So yeah, it makes, makes complete sense. And then you can obviously adjust if you don't hit that and expand the time frame a little bit as well. So great, great stuff. Also in the book, you talk about auditing new ideas. What do you mean by auditing new ideas? So this goes back to knowing your goals because I find a lot of CEOs get distracted with shiny object syndrome where 
they'll every single day be presented with new ideas and opportunities. And a lot of the time this can take their focus and attention away from what they should be doing. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, there's a, a, a case study I use in the book of a client who came to me on a coaching session with an idea that sounded amazing. On paper, it was a really fantastic new avenue that they could go down. But I knew with that client, what we were working on is he was already stretched thin. They were in the middle of a big launch. They had this huge campaign going and he didn't have enough minutes in the day to take anything else on, which is why even though this idea may have, may have been great in theory, it was actually going to take him away from what he should be doing and his 90 day goals and targets, which is why a better path of action was to actually turn it down and say no. And this is why, again, if you want to perform at the highest level, you have to really audit where you're spending your time and what you're giving your attention because everything you commit to is going to take you away from what else you could and should be doing. So it's again, having that 90 day goal in sight. And then when you're presented with a new opportunity, really asking yourself, does that add or lead me towards my 90 day goal? And if the answer is yes, then by all means, consider it. But if the answer is no, then you have to be really honest with yourself. Is this the best use of your time, energy and bandwidth right now? And can you really afford to take more on? And if the answer is no, even though it may be a great opportunity, the better path may be to pass on it and to really kind of put it off so that you can stay focused on what you're doing. There's sometimes the, the quote that says some people are saturated by opportunity is quite correct as well. So learning to say no to things and, and keep it on track of what your goals are and, and those strategic things as well. Like you can shelve ideas and if they're always going to be good ideas, they, they might be worth a visit in the future once you hit your sort of 90 day ninety day goals as well. I'm so, I suffer from that too. Shiny object syndrome, saturated by opportunities, not sure which way to go, but you just have to have a system where you can track ideas, put them on the shelf and revisit them every quarter and see which one's worth working on, which one's ready to drop. And most of the time, with time, great ideas drop to just to be bad ideas and you thought they were a good idea. Moving on, in section three, you talk about getting out of your own head and working with CEOs on the mental game of things. Can you talk about some of the strategies you work with with dealing with anxiety and CEOs getting anxious as well? Yeah, this is we've kind of covered this a little bit already, but this is going back to recognizing when you're jumping to that mental story. Because with a, what a lot of people don't realize about anxiety is we get anxious for two reasons. Firstly, we're viewing a negative event in a future. Sorry, we're viewing a future event in a negative light. And secondly, we don't believe that we can handle it effectively. That's why we get anxious because we fear that something's going to go wrong. It's like if you need to have a difficult conversation and you start getting anxious about facing it because you're worried that person's going to get angry or be reactive or it's going to go terribly or whatever it may be. And that can cause a, a ton of overwhelm and negative energy. That's why the way I approach kind of dealing with anxiety is going back to questioning that story. You need to firstly figure out, okay, what is it you're being anxious about? What specifically is causing you that anxiety? You have to understand where it's coming from and the problem, and then you need to shift it. You need to figure out, okay, if that's the worst case scenario story that you're building up in your head, well, how else could it play out? What if it goes right? What if everything goes according to plan? What if everything is okay? And even if it isn't, is it really the end of the world like you're building up in your head? Because a lot of the time, as I spoke to you before, our brains explode it. They turn it into this huge catastrophe, whereas actually, even if it goes wrong, it's not that big a deal. So again, by slowing down and putting into perspective, you can see the problem for what it actually is, allowing you to really calm down and actually handle the situation. So 
going back to the central theme, it's just stopping, slowing down and processing. It's going to give you a lot more emotional control and getting out of your own head to see these problems in their true light. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, thank you for sharing. One of the other sections in the book, you talk about leading like a CEO. Can you talk about how knowing how to communicate with your team, inspiring others and bringing out the, the best of those around you? Yeah, I find one of the biggest challenges, surprisingly for being a CEO, is actually navigating people. Like a lot of people think, oh, it's about strategy and kind of innovation, whereas actually it's the day-to-day. How do you bring out the best in the people around you? How do you effectively lead? And I find for a lot of people, especially who are new to the role, their communication skills are not something they've ever really worked on. So they'll go into meetings and they'll immediately feel like they need to talk all of the time and they need to express their ideas and they need to really lead by example. Whereas Simon Sinek, um, actually, who's one of my heroes, he put in a really fantastic light that leaders speak last. And it's all about you really starting to comprehend and understand and bring out the best in people around you. Because if you're talking all of the time and you're just telling people what to do, you're missing so many opportunities for them to share their ideas, for them to look at new ways of approaching things. And that's why essentially a lot of the time you've got to get out of your own way you've got to create an environment where ideas can be cultivated where people aren't afraid to bring stuff to the table where you can then surround yourself with intelligent people to then hear all of their ideas and opinions and then make a decision on based on what to do with it but it's also that fine line of being a leader where you're not just allowing everyone else to make up your mind for you because this is not a case of you looking at 10 different opinions and then getting overwhelmed it's you getting all the ideas in front of you looking at the best path of action and then taking a decision based on that just to wrap up if people are listening and want to find out more about um, how you can serve them and if we've got some executives or ceos listening to this as well can you talk about your evolved program and and also the unshakable course as well just a segue from the book yeah so my evolved program is a 90-day one-to-one coaching program where our focus is on helping CEOs really take control so they can become more effective in their role. It's all about really evolving them into the leader that the business needs now and in the future so that they can maximize their time, lead with confidence, and grow a business without losing their sanity. So that's something that anyone is interested in finding more about. You can at byronmorrison.com. And my unshakable course is something built off the back of the book, and it's essentially taking the key principles and breaking it down all in video form and with tools and resources to help people really follow through and implement and taking a lot of kind of what I do with my private clients as well and passing it on in a way that people can do it on their own. So if someone's maybe not ready or financially not in a situation to do work directly with me, it's a a more kind of budget-friendly option that can still help them evolve and kind of get their life and business under control. And where can people follow you socially and also buy the book as well? Would it be the website or Amazon or what's the best place? You can get CEO and control all the effect of CEO on Amazon. And socially, you can follow me. I'm quite active on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at at author Byron Morrison. So it's the same tagline on all of them, at author Byron Morrison. Yeah, cool. So I just want to say, uh, Byron, thank you uh, for the fantastic books. Thanks for being a guest on the Best Book Bits podcast. And to my audience out there, yeah, definitely go out there, follow Byron, check out his stuff, and read his books. So again, thank you for being on the podcast, and enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Pleasure.